All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Hi, this is Nick Freitas and welcome back to Making the Argument. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about a commencement speech that was delivered at Justice High School in Fairfax County by one of the members of the school board up there. And this has gotten a lot of attention because it took place on June 7th. So you've probably seen some national news about it. You've seen some articles written about it. Um, the thing that I want to do that's a little bit different on, on what I've been seeing some other people talk about is, is really go into this idea of a lot of times things conservatives say and what the left hears and things that the left says and what conservatives hear. Because I think one of the problems is, is I was listening to this speech because I decided to not just read the articles. I sat down. I actually listened to the speech. And some of the things in there were, were fine. They, they were you know, nothing wrong with it. Um, there was other things in there that were a little bit iffy. And then there were some things that I just felt was, was blatantly wrong or, or just a, a blatant misrepresentation. And we're going to focus in on a, on a particular statement, but I want to give you a little bit of background here because I think this is important. Um, so the, the person that, that gave the speech is uh, Fairfax County School Board member Abrar Omesh. I apologize if I got that wrong. But when she's being um, announced, when she's being introduced by one of the students to come up and speak, um, you know, there's a lot of good stuff in there. First, I think it was first Libyan woman to ever be elected, I think, to anything um, in, in Virginia, possibly the United States. And so they were talking about, you know, obviously listing that as an accomplishment. Um, but then they also went into some other things like she was the Virginia co-chair of the Bernie Sanders campaign. And um, I always find this a little bit interesting, not that it's not relevant information, but when you're, when you're talking about a high school commencement address, it's generally like about the students. Um, and and she, she did that, but it, it's this idea that, yeah, if you serve in the administration of a particular president or whatnot, that, that makes sense to mention that as part of your, your overall credentials. But serving as a co-chair of the Bernie Sanders campaign just automatically sets it off on, a, on kind of a political front. And then um, the student also says that she was someone that was, um, I forget the terminology used, but it was like harassed or discriminated against by the police. And I thought that was interesting. So I decided to try to figure out what that was all about. And it turns out that she was pulled over for... I guess, rolling through a red light and then refused to give her license over to the police officer because she refused to produce her license. She was arrested. Now, 
again, maybe there was some sort of exchange we don't know about, maybe there was something else, but I, I find it interesting that the evidence that we have available suggests that, okay, no, she was not discriminated against or directly targeted because of the way she looked, like it was described in her introduction. It sounds more like, okay, she had a moving violation, she was pulled over, refused to produce her license, and then was arrested as a result. Now, again, there could be more details in there that explain in greater context why she feels like she was being specifically targeted. But I certainly haven't seen any evidence of it other than her saying so. And so I thought it was interesting that the student is getting up there and saying, look, this is someone that has also endured you know, this kind of discrimination at the hands of our police because we're, we're already starting to see it. it's like this introduction into a very you know, social justice um, kind of approach to a high school commencement address. Um, and then she goes into her speech and, and some of it's great, right? Again, some of it's just talking about how much they've gone through as high school students and obviously with COVID and whatnot, there's, um, you, you would, I think it's perfectly fair to say that a lot of high school students have, have had to overcome certain challenges with respect to their education, especially during COVID, then most high school students haven't had to in the last you know, couple decades. So um, talking about that, talking about overcoming and talking about viewing people with compassion. And I, and I thought that was interesting, viewing people with love and compassion and this idea that when someone demonstrates hate to you, don't demonstrate hate back. That was all positive stuff, but there was there's a couple things in there. We're going to shoot to some of these clips. There was one in particular where she said um, it was about hour and six minutes into the, um, the graduation ceremony, which she said essentially that some people um, basically attempt to divide us because they they make certain prejudicial judgment judgments against you about how you look before they actually see you. And I thought that was interesting. I thought that was interesting because I, I think when people on the left talk about this concept of, you know, discrimination, we're not actually getting to know the actual person uh, before kind of understanding maybe, you know, why they say the things they do or make the decisions that they do. I, I get that. I get that. I, th I, think that's, I think that's valid. The question I have to ask, though, is that when I look at a lot of the things that the left is trying to push right now, whether it be through policy, whether it be through critical race theory, I feel like that's exactly what they're doing. And, and this would be fascinating. I'd love to have someone on the left who watches this to come on on Facebook or on YouTube, leave a comment and tell me where I'm wrong on this. But it, it seems to me that the big push right now from a policy perspective, from a legislative perspective on, on identifying people based off of their skin color or based off of their race or based off of their you know, sexual identity or whatever it is, and then automatically making judgments with respect to that that seems to be, I would say, far more common on the left right now than it is on the right. Now, that's not to, I'm not talking about individual decisions, right? I'm sure you, everyone can find individual people that will come to certain conclusions about somebody and allow that conclusion to shape their whole view of that person without actually ever getting to know them or understand their story, right? I think all of us can be guilty of that. But when it comes to pushing policy, and especially things like critical race theory, where it's this idea that based off of your skin color, you automatically fall into an oppressor or an oppressed class, and that's where you're at. Okay, that seems to be a direct contradiction to what she's, you know, extolling her students to do. And again, I, I would love to have an explanation because when I hear someone on the left say that it, it's not appropriate to simply just look at someone and judge them without actually getting to know them first, you know, see, see the actual person, not just, you know, what, whatever it is you can visually ascertain immediately, I get that. I don't think there's any confusion. I don't think there's any difference really of opinion between right and left on that. What we have confusion on is, are, are your actions actually reflecting that? 
or are we being told that you're not allowed to have certain opinions or make certain statements or um, even engage in debate on certain issues unless you're the right skin color or you're the right gender or you have the right sexual identity or, or whatever it is. Like we're, we're being told you, you will automatically be excluded from some conversations unless you just want to repeat back what, what apparently wants to be heard. Unless you're willing to do that, you will be excluded based off of things, again, like skin color, sexual identity, you know, gender, etc. So I, I, would like, I would like someone to reconcile those two things for me. I would love for someone on the left to do that because it, that doesn't make sense to a lot of us who are conservatives, right? So let, let's get right to, let, let's get right to the, the point of the clip that has raised so much contention. And again, if you're on the left, I'm going to explain why conservatives see this ha- and have a problem with it. Um, if you're on the right, I'm also going to try to explain the way I, I have friends on the left have explained to me the way they see this. So we're, we're going to try to have a conversation here on, again, when the, when the right talks to the left, what do they hear? When the left talks to the right, what do we hear? And how do we actually define our terms in such a way that we can have a productive conversation? So let's go ahead and listen to this portion um, of the clip right here during the uh, commencement address. Again, this is a Fairfax County School Board member at Justice High School in Fairfax. Uh, the member's name is Abrar Omish. And again, I, I genuinely apologize if I, if I got the pronunciation wrong. Our world is overwhelmed with need. We struggle with human greed, racism, extreme versions of individualism and capitalism, white supremacy, growing wealth gaps, disease, climate crisis, extreme poverty amidst luxury and waste right next door. And the list goes on. You all know this. Okay. So now I think most, I think most people on the left hear this and say, well, yeah, what, what, do you not agree that white supremacy is bad? Do you not agree that racism is bad? Do you not agree that you know, um, you know, climate issues are, are, are a problem? Do you not agree that, and, and this is the one where it gets to the point of contention, right? Extreme individualism and extreme capitalism. So if you're on the left and you're watching this, I want to give you an explanation for why so many of us on the right see this and, and automatically get a little bit frustrated with it. And it, it's two things. One, it, it's a lack of defining one's terms. And the second part is it's also omission of other factors. So when you say racism, white supremacy, waste, greed, capitalism, individualism, well, obviously you're, you're lumping certain things in with other, other categories. And, and the categories that you're mentioning here, whether it's racism, white supremacy, et cetera, those are all inherently bad, right? They, they automatically have a negative connotation because in the very definition of those words, racism, you know, sexism, greed, um, you know, whatever it is, extreme waste, by definition, those are bad things, right? There, there's no way to make racism good. There's no way to make sexism good. There's no way to make um, greed good. There's no way to make any of those things good. But then you lump in individualism and, and capitalism. Now you add the modifier extreme. And this is the part where we don't understand what you mean. What do you mean by extreme individualism? What do you mean by extreme capitalism? And now we're left to wonder what it is that you're doing. Are you simply just, are you trying to give yourself a little bit of an out? So if somebody says you attacked capitalism, you can say, no, 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 I just attacked extreme capitalism. You attacked individualism. No, 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 I just attacked extreme individualism. Okay, well then what do you mean by extreme? Because we all know that when the left typically talks about rights or about society or about political goals, they talk a lot in terms of groups or the collective. 
Okay, I'm, I'm not saying that means that everybody on the left denies, you know, individual attributes. I'm just saying that they talk a lot about in terms of groups and the collective. And on the right, we generally use terms focusing on the individual. That's why you see a lot of things about individual liberty, uh, personal responsibility, right? There's a great in, uh, property rights as it applies to individuals. So there's a lot of emphasis on the right on that individual component. And there's a lot of emphasis on the left on the group or the collective component. So when you, when you add individualism, into this other category of things that are inherently bad and suggest that this is just as bad or every bit as much a threat to society, extreme individualism, you don't explain what you mean by extreme individualism, you just throw it out there. Well, then obviously there, there's a left-wing connotation here right now that you haven't truly explained, but you've set it up in such a way where the moment I come back and I say, wait a second, why would you include those things with everything else? It's like, no, 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 I just said extreme individualism. And then typically what will happen is now you'll, get an, now you'll get an example of extreme individualism. So they might say something like, well, you know, somebody that um, doesn't care about what happens to anybody except themselves or their immediate family or friends or doesn't care about society at large or doesn't care about the well-being of the community, right? And, and they're just so focused on their, their own individual rights and wants and needs. That's what you mean by extreme individualism. Okay, fine. Here's the problem. I don't know any conservatives, I, I, don't know, I don't know any libertarians that believe in that version of individualism. So this ends up becoming like a straw man. This ends up becoming a, a definition that doesn't have a lot of value because I, I just don't know anybody, I don't know any serious person that's sitting around here going, I literally don't care about how my actions affect anybody else. And so on the left, understand something, when, when a conservative or libertarian talks about individualism. That, that doesn't mean individualism in the sense that we don't care about the community. Um, I, I've often talked about this from the terms of rugged individualism combined with a strong sense of community. In fact, if you look at things like capitalism, because that was also mentioned, capitalism only works within community. But the only way for the only way for us to respect rights or to respect property or to respect people to be able to engage in voluntary exchange is if we recognize individual liberty, individual rights, and self-determination. And key to that is the concept of personal responsibility. So, so if extreme individualism, and when we talk about individualism, is what you hear is we don't care about the community, you need to understand. Nobody means that when we're talking about on this side. Okay, what, what we mean is, is that before you, can, before you can even talk about protecting a group of people, you have to recognize that a group of people or society in large is made up of individuals. There, there is no group, there is no society without the individual. And if the way that you're purporting to support the group or to support the collective or whatever else you want to call it is by infringing on individual liberty, we automatically see that with skepticism because now the question becomes whose rights, who in, whose inherent rights, if you believe in people have a right over their own you know, person, they have a right over their own property, they have a right over their own labor, their own creativity. If you, have, if you believe that they have a right to those things, that they belong to them, and you start talking about group rights, or the collective, we automatically think, well, wait a second. I, I understand if every individual in the group has the same rights, I get that, that makes sense to me. We want that. But if you're now talking about group rights as if the group is something itself, like it's something organic, and now the, the group has certain needs and you're gonna try to achieve certain outcomes, maybe equitable outcomes, that gets, term gets used a lot. We start to think, well, wait a second, 
How are you going to achieve that without infringing on individual liberty? And then who's going to get to decide which, which persons, which individuals, individual liberty or property rights or, or rights over their own labor gets violated in order to achieve some objective that you think is better for the group? So please understand from a conservative perspective, right, a libertarian perspective, our emphasis on individualism, it is not at the expense of the group or the community or society. It is in large part because of the group or the society or the community. Because we, we don't see how you can all of a sudden say you, you have collective rights, but you don't have individual rights. Because now this, this inevitably ends up being a, a battle over who gets what at whose expense. So when you say extreme individualism, you either mean something that none of us mean when we're talking about it from the right, or you have some other definition for it that I, I would need to properly understand. You know, maybe, maybe it's this idea that extreme individualism, because some people didn't want to wear masks or some people didn't want to wear the vaccine, and you think that that's essentially you know, putting their, their own personal desires or wants above the group. Well, again, you have to ask the question, why are they making that decision? Right? This is very important. Now, it, it could be true. It could be that somebody doesn't want to you know, um, abide by certain guidelines because they genuinely don't care about their neighbor. That could be one explanation for it. Another explanation could be they don't agree with the guidelines because they don't think they're helpful or they don't think they work or they think they do more damage than good or they don't think that politicians went through the proper process in order to implement them. And so they, they, see a, another, they see another problem taking place. It's not just going to hurt them, but hurt the community. And so they're rebelling against that. Right? So, that's, so again, it's, you know, for a lot of this commencement speech, it was all about compassion and understanding. Okay, well then, great. When, when we're talking about these issues, if you automatically assume that the only reason why this person is doing something is because of extreme individualism, which is bad for society, according to the speaker, and you're not looking at to the other concerns that person might have that might be motivating their actions that has far more to do with whether or not they want to get a vaccine and more to do with their concern over maybe the process in which the vaccine was put out or this idea that we're going to have vaccine passports or that people are going to be asking you personal health questions before they allow you to travel or have a job. Those are all, I, I would hope we could agree that those could all be legitimate concerns. And so again, when, when you tack that word individualism in with white supremacy, greed, and everything else, we, we automatically feel like, okay, now you're, you're not being intellectually honest with us. You, you've now taken something that's more politically motivated and you've put it in a category with other things that everybody agrees are bad. All right, same thing with this extreme capitalism. I've gotten into this with people before. I've gotten into it with people on the right before where they'll talk about things like, well, I don't support valueless capitalism or I don't support extreme capitalism. And the, and the question I always ba ask back is, okay, can you, can you define capitalism for me? Or, or even better yet, define free markets, because capitalism was kind of a caricature that Karl Marx used. But when we talk about free markets, essentially all we're talking about is the private ownership of the means of production and distribution. And then when we talk about exchange, it requires voluntary exchange, which is to say that just because someone is a powerful business owner, that doesn't mean they can force you to buy their products or their services. They have to convince you to do it. The moment they're forcing you, either by you know, some sort of government rule or government monopoly, or maybe they're you know, using force themselves, they're no longer engaging in a capitalist or a free market exchange. At that point, they're either engaging in, in cronyism and a form of central planning through the government, or they're engaging in direct 
fraud, theft, abuse, etc. Right, so the, the moment they go into those categories, they're, they're, it's no longer capitalism. And so this is the part that I wonder is when you say extreme capitalism, okay, what do you mean by that? Define your terms. I don't understand because I'm willing to bet you're going to come up with a definition that actually doesn't fit within the categories of capitalism or free markets. And, and before anyone says, oh, well, that's cute, I'm just going to remind everybody that supports socialism is that every time we point out the areas where socialism fails, we get told that's not real socialism. Okay, so... I think it's important to understand that, yes, we understand that any economic system is not going to perform flawlessly all the time because people, human beings, are fallible. The question is, is what sort of incentive structure is created within the economic system? And when you look at a free market system, the incentive structure is based on the idea that you have a right to own property, you have a right to build things, you have a right to cooperate with other people, you have a right to go out and do all these other things that you, you would like to do as long as other people are willing to voluntarily engage with you. And then as a customer, different people are competing to provide us the best products and services. And this does a couple of things. One, it, it allows customers to get what they need and they want and they desire. And it puts them in a position to reward people that do the best job of using scarce resources in order to get us the things that we want, need, and desire. Now, when the government interferes in that process through taxes, through subsidies, through you know, regulations that are, are designed to help a particular business or a particular industry at the expense of someone else or the expense of customers, that's problematic. That's also not capitalism. People will call that crony capitalism. It's not capitalism. It's cronyist. You could call it corporatist, but it, it's not capitalism. So this is, again, when, from the right, when we look at a, a statement like this, we, we automatically think a couple of things. One is, okay, what is your problem with capitalism and why would you put it in the same category as, as greed and selfishness and waste and, um, and racism and white supremacy? But then we also want to know what exactly do you mean by extreme capitalism? Because it's easy to throw that on there and then say, I don't have to define my terms. Or if you have a problem with what I said, and then you give a narrow definition of what extreme capitalism is, which may or may not even be capitalism. And the moment we say, well, nobody agrees with that. You're like, oh, well, then you don't have a problem with my statement. No, I have a major problem with your statement because you didn't define your terms and because of the context in which you put capitalism along other things. Here's the other problem, and this, this comes from the omission standpoint. So we, we saw all the things that she listed off is the world you're inheriting, and these are all huge problems. Here's my question. As we look back at the things over the last, let's say, 100 years that have had the most dire effects on society that have been the most responsible for degradation, for poverty, for oppression. It, it, is, that, is that individualism and, and capitalism? Have those been the things that have really just driven so much oppression within society? Because I would think that socialism, communism, central planning, fascism, all of those things have a lot more explaining to do with respect to literally tens of millions of innocent people being butchered or starved to death or oppressed or being kept behind a wall with machine guns by their own government. But those don't get any honorable mention within this list. How about, how about the rise of extreme collectivism? <laughs> Right? How come that doesn't make the list? No, no, no. It's, it's only those things which are generally associated on the right. And that's the part that's frustrating is because once again, we, we, we see this at a high school commencement address and it becomes really, really hard to not believe that this is being basically taught 
every day in school with very little diversity of opinion or perspective. It's the idea that, no, this is the way to think about things, and this is true, and this is what fighting for justice looks like, and that's your obligation. And then when someone like us on the right comes and says, wait a second, I don't, I don't think I agree with your definition, or I don't think that uh, the explanation that you've provided corresponds with reality, we get told, oh, then you're denying racism. You're denying the existence of white supremacy. You're denying that people have done bad things in the name of individualism or, or capitalism. No, we're not denying any of those things. We're saying that we want proper definitions. We want you to define your terms so that we can actually have a productive conversation. And that is what has gotten so many, if you're on the left and you're watching this, if you want to know why we watched this speech and all you heard was a woman that was getting up there that has faced struggles, that is telling all of them to show compassion and to really get to know people and to not judge and to go out there and achieve justice. If you're wondering why we watched that and we have frustration with it, it's not because of, of achieving justice. It's this idea of the things that she is categorizing, the things that she is lumping in with inherently immoral and evil concepts like greed and racism and white supremacy. So that she's attempting to flavor other things with that brand. That's our frustration. And, and if you want to know why it is even more frustrating when it happens at a, a high school commencement address, it's because, in large part, the government has told us that if you can't afford an alternative, you will send your child. If you disagree with, with some of what you know, um, she said, if you disagree with what she said, or if you disagree with some of the things that are being taught, you, by law, have to send your child to that school unless you can afford an alternative. And every attempt we've come up, every time we've tried to say, why don't we have dollars follow students? That way, the same amount of money that's being spent on a student can, be, can, be, you know, can go along with that student wherever they go, but now they can find an educational opportunity that works best for them. And, and it's not just along political or ideological lines. A lot of times this is based off of things like, you know, a parent thinks that the school spends too much on the football program and not enough on the arts program. Great. Well, the, the way to actually adjudicate that is to allow parents with students that have a, a, a passion for the arts and entertainment, maybe a passion for music, to be able to pull their resources and go to a school that can emphasize the things that's best for their children, right? It's not, it's not just along these ideological lines. But as, as long as we're going to be told that our children have to show up and they have to listen to this and, and it has to be something where they're either denied a, a counter perspective or there's, there's not a diversity of, of thought on issues like capitalism or individualism, then we're going, to be, we're going to be that much more frustrated because it's no longer about two adults having a conversation and, and maybe even politely disagreeing or maybe finding common ground and focusing on those areas. It's not about that. It's about you taking my kids and telling them this and then the moment I have a problem with it, saying, oh, well, you must be denying racism. You must be denying the excesses of greedy people. No, I'm not doing any of that. I just don't think the definition you've provided makes any sense based off of reality. And quite frankly, it gets a little bit frustrating, a little bit frustrating when it's always this idea that America is this, this bad place. And every time we bring this up, and this, this came out in the news again with the, uh, with the young woman competing to go into the Olympics, you know, not um, kind of turning her back with respect to the national anthem. 
And then people come to the conclusion that she doesn't like America. And it's like, well, how could you say that? Well, because generally speaking, culturally, this is considered one of the things that we do that unifies us. Now, if you don't believe that, but you still love your country, okay, great, explain that. But don't, don't, <laughs> it's not reasonable to assume that when people come to that conclusion that they're just off their rocker. And there was a, there was a point in this, there was a point in this speech where she talks essentially about privilege. I don't think she actually uses that word, but she talks about privilege. But she actually talked about it in a way that, that I think there was some positive merits to. And she was talking about, she had the entire graduating class stand up, and then she started reading off world statistics. And she was essentially saying that if this class was a representation of the entire world, you know, 3% of you wouldn't have survived, you know, birth. And then she has a couple rows sit down. Now, I do wonder if she included abortion in that, but we'll leave that for another conversation. Then she says, you know, this many people don't have access to clean water. These rows sit down. These many people don't have access to electricity. Sit down. These many people don't have access to an education. Sit down. And then she says, you know, the, the remaining rows, you know, they're, you know, sometimes life is about luck and you were lucky to be in this environment. And okay. And, and I think that there's some, there's some obvious truth to the idea that all of us in some way, shape or form are beneficiaries of everybody that has come before us and what they've built and what they've created and what they've discovered. Right? We're not having to rediscover the wheel because somebody else already built that, somebody else already implemented it, and now we're the beneficiaries of that, even though we didn't personally do anything to make that come about. That's fine. And then she puts emphasis on gratitude and the responsibility that comes with that gratitude. Like if you're truly grateful for all the advantages that you have, then what are you going to do with it in order to achieve something and move us farther down the line? And I thought that was wonderful. I thought that was great. But, but again, it was, it was kind of this overall concept of that it was, it was just lucky. And what's important to understand about gratitude is that you generally don't have gratitude for luck. I mean, you, you can, but the reason why the United States is in the position we are to where, like, the statistics in the United States for that classroom, if she was comparing the world statistics versus U.S. statistics, the reason why they'd be so radically different is not because of luck. It's because of certain systems that have been in place. It's because of certain sacrifices and decisions and risks that have been taken by generations that came before us that build something up. And were they perfect? No. Is American history perfect? Absolutely not. But if you're going to use world statistics to demonstrate to everyone in this class how lucky they truly are and tell them that they should have gratitude for that, then it would be nice if we recognized the ideas, institutions, and, and, and concepts within American society that have allowed us to surpass all of those world statistics, to put our children in a better place to be able to advance. And no, it's not because we exploited the rest of the world. It's not because we've hurt everybody else. Right? No, we're not perfect. But if you look at the history of the United States, there have, and, and, you, and you properly compare it with the history of every country in the world, I think we've got a lot to be proud of. And this is another thing that I'd like to put out there to those of you on the left that, have a, that, that feel like when we praise the United States or that we do so too much or that um, you know, we don't have a proper appreciation for our faults. The other thing that's important for a sense of, of gratitude, and I would just say having a realistic perspective, is that when you're comparing the United States or when you're comparing capitalism or when you're comparing uh, individuals, when you're talking about these things, and you're pointing out the ways that they can be abused or excesses or periods in our history that are bad, one of the questions I like to ask is I like to say, compared to what? 
And the reason why this is such an important question is because what I found is that some of the people that are the most angry about free markets or individualism or the United States and our history, they're not comparing it to some other place in the world that has, has somehow done it better. Sometimes they are. They're comparing it to an ideal. And let me just say, there's nothing wrong with having an ideal. There's nothing wrong for shooting for an ideal and, and striving for an ideal. I think that's important. I think we should be doing that. That's the reason why it says to form a more perfect union. But it's also important to understand that if you're going to be holding the United States to this extreme standard of perfection, and you're going to spend all your time trashing the United States when it doesn't achieve it, what does it say about almost every other single country in the world? Right? So I think it's appropriate to have a balanced approach. And it would have been nice, as she was talking about the gratitude, to actually acknowledge the fact that when you talk about individualism, when you talk about capitalism, these things were actually critical to the United States. And, and the way that we are, not because we don't care about the community, or not because we don't care about people having access to opportunities, it's because we cared about those things that we focused on individual rights and individual liberties. It's because if you want groups to thrive, you need individuals to be able to thrive. It's because if you want a, an economic system that allows you to get wealthy and to, to do better, then you want one that's structured often of an incentive structure that says that the only way you can get wealthy or the primary way that you're going to get wealthy is you have to provide the products and services that other people want and you can't force any of them to do business with you. You have to appeal to their needs in order to meet your needs. That's a positive incentive structure, right? And, and we've seen what happens when we, when we exchange that incentive structure for one that says, no, 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 politicians will now decide for everybody what's appropriate and what's fair and what's equitable. That leads to oppression. That leads to the destruction of individual rights and property rights. That leads to the oppression of groups. Because inevitably, when some people don't like that approach and want to break away from it, they get punished for it. So, all of this, you know, the reason why I, I wanted to talk about this speech is, you know, a lot of stuff has been in the news about Loudoun County Public Schools, Fairfax County Public Schools. This has been in the news. But I, I just thought that one part where she was talking about the world these students are inheriting and the things that they need to be you know, fighting against or working against, I thought it was really important because I, I saw in that a unique opportunity to hopefully be able to have a discussion and to hopefully let people on the left know that if you want to talk about individualism or capitalism, if you want to have that discussion, let's do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, but we're going to want you to properly define your terms so that we can have this conversation not work it into a speech in front of a bunch of a high school students and make them believe that capitalism and individualism are now somehow on the same par as white supremacy, racism, and greed. Because you want to know another world that our children are inheriting? They're inheriting a world of people that apparently believe that the quest for political power or whatever their particular concept of equity or justice is supersedes the truth. And if you really want to destroy and rip down a society, one of the quickest ways you can do it is supplant truth with whatever you think your objective is. You've decided that your objective is so moral, so noble, that the truth must be sacrificed on the altar of your accomplishment, of your objectives. That is never a society that will actually bring genuine justice. That is not a society 
that lifts people up and allows them to find purpose and meaning and to pursue happiness in accordance with their definition of it, not some political elite that think they are better, more equipped, or more qualified to run our lives for us. So please, let me be clear. If you are concerned that when conservatives talk about individualism, what we mean is that we only care about ourselves and we don't care about anybody else unless it's friends and family, that is not what we mean. It's not what we've ever meant. We just recognize that in order for the group to succeed or society to succeed or the community to succeed, we have to respect individual rights and liberties. If we don't do that, the group will suffer as a result. It ends up being a never-ending game of one group, uh, of, of one particular section within the society attempting to oppress another one for their own benefit. But if you focus on the rights of the individual, then everyone can prosper. Okay, We don't mean that if we don't want the government to do something, it means that we don't believe that other people need help or that we have an obligation to help other people. Actually, you will find that we are incredibly charitable people. Because we see other individuals as, as unique human beings with inherent worth and value, and because we know what it's like to struggle and we know what it's like for someone to help us, we love the idea of helping other people and reciprocating that compassion. But we don't, we're not as convinced with this idea that we can delegate that compassion to a government entity or a different group to do it on our behalf. Especially not one that's forcing us to do it. It's one thing when we work as a group or work as a community or we give money to a particular charity because we think they're doing a really good job. That is very, very different than someone coming in and telling us we're going to confiscate what you have in order to give it to the people that we think should have it. We see those things very, very differently. It's the same thing when we look at capitalism. No, we don't believe that greed is a, pro a good or proper motivation. No, we don't believe that, um, you know, that the, that the, we believe that the love of money at the expense of everything else is, is a bad concept, is an evil concept. But we love the idea of a system that provides an incentive structure that says, you can't steal from me, you can't force me to work for you, and you can't force me to buy your products, but you can convince me if you do a good enough job. We, we like that, especially when it's compared to another system which says that some sort of elected elite is going to decide for us what we can have, what we can't have, because they're going to decide for us what's better for everybody. We're skeptical of that. And so we don't like the things that we look at as being beautiful and beneficial and a part of the reason why America experiences so much wealth, security, and prosperity compared to the rest of the world. We don't like those things being lumped in with inherently evil things like white supremacy, racism, and greed, and we don't think it's appropriate. And it's especially frustrating when we feel like it's being thrown at our kids without any real context or counter perspective. So... Here's what I want you to do if you've listened to this Why Minutes. Because there's a, so many conversations going on right now between right and left on what's going on in our schools. And this commencement address got a lot of attention. If you think I have done a good job of explaining where we come down on these issues and what our problems were with this speech, right? Not just throwing bombs at somebody, not just yelling at somebody, not just saying how much I, I disagree with what they said, but actually providing a conservative perspective that one of your friends who might be on the left, maybe center left, maybe they, want to, maybe they really want to understand where it is we're coming from. If you think we did a good job here today explaining that, share this with them. That's a big component of why we have making the argument. It's, it's about making a legitimate argument that's not just about yelling and screaming at the other side. It's about really sitting down, analyzing something, and trying to prevent us from talking around one another. 
trying to properly define terms so that we can determine appropriate end states, find common ground, and work together. So if you think we did a good job of explaining this here, share this with your friends. Once again, please, if you have comments for us, if you're on the left and you're listening to this and you, you want to share a thought with me or you think I didn't quite get something right, you can go on Facebook, you can go on YouTube, and you can leave your comments in there. We try to get to those comments. And then if you got some questions or you got some statements, let's, let's talk. Maybe we'll have an episode and, and we'll, we'll go through these points a little bit more and we'll get to the bottom of where we agree, where we disagree. Right? All of that's really important. But none of that's going to happen if you don't like, subscribe, push on your notifications button on the screen, and share this with your friends. So once again, Nick Freitas for making the argument. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.